0: No matter how sophisticated or religiously well-informed we become, at our simplest, most emotional level, we long to see God. Children ask, how big is God? Or what does God look like? And as adults, we never really shake those questions. Something deeply hungry is touched by the thought of actually seeing God. We know God's present, but we wish he were visible. From Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah had entered the temple to mourn the king. But instead, he saw another king. He saw Elohim. He saw the king of the universe. He saw the great I Am. But people are not allowed, we know this, to see the face of God. In fact, Scripture warns us that no one can see God and remain alive. Do you remember Moses' request? Now Moses had seen many astounding miracles. He had heard the voice of God speaking to him out of a burning bush. He had witnessed the river Nile turn into the blood. He had tasted manna from heaven. He had gazed upon the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of fire. This man had seen the chariots of Pharaoh be covered by the Red Sea, but believe it or not, he still wasn't satisfied. He craved for the ultimate spiritual experience. He said, let me see your face. Show me your glory. And God said, No one may see me and live. There is a place near me, God went on to say, where you can stand on a rock, where my glory passes by. I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Now, if I could say this in modern vernacular, God said, I'll let you see my hindquarters. That's pretty much what God was saying. Now, when Moses returned from the mountain, his face was shining. The people, the Bible tells us, were so terrified that they shrunk away from him in horror. Moses' face was literally too dazzling for them to even look upon. Now, just think about this for a minute. Terror gripped those viewing God's reflected glory. Just the reflection of the glory of God's afterglow. If people are terrified by the reaction of God's afterglow in the face of a man, how can anyone stand to gaze directly into his holy face? Isaiah 6, 2. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, With two wings they cover their faces, with two they cover their feet, and with two they were flying. Now we don't know much about the seraphs. We do know the seraphim, which is plural, are not sinful creatures. They don't possess impure hearts or they wouldn't be in heaven. But not even with their exalted status in the presence of God, they have to shield their eyes from directly gazing or viewing God's face. Verse 3 says then, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when we want to emphasize something, we have several different ways that we do that. We may underline the important words. We may print them in italics or boldface type, use all capital letters Attach an explanation point following words or set them off in quotation marks. Those are all ways to call attention to something that's especially important. Now, Jewish literature and society had a a very special, unique way to call attention to something really important. It was repetition. Jesus himself would often say, truly, truly, I say unto you. The double use of the word truly was a sign that what he was about to say was of extreme importance. It simply meant it is true. It is true. Now, there's just a handful of times in the Bible that the Bible repeats something to the third degree. To mention something three times in succession is to elevate it to super importance. For example, in the book of Revelation, God's judgment is announced by an eagle in midair crying out, woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth. Only once in all of Scripture is an attribute of God given to the third degree. Only once is a characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. God is not merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. Now, the Bible never says God is love, love, love or full of mercy, 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 or faithful, faithful, faithful. But it does say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it's important that we remember this as well. He's not only holy, 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 but the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, we read news flashes every day. We listen to sound bites. We watch video clips, all of which do not report on the glory of God. They only show the horizontal view or the sad news or the human news. And so what happens is we become accustomed to believing that this is the only news in the world, as if everyone in the world cares whether or not multimillionaires wearing helmets and shoulder pads. Kneel, stand, raise a fist, cry, or hide from a game. I got news for you. Not everybody cares. There's a whole bunch of people in this world who do not even notice or even know what you're talking about. And some of you don't even know what I'm talking about because I carefully shielded it around in some careful language. But just because you don't hear it, Just because you don't hear about the glory of God doesn't mean that it's not true. The world is full of his glory, and it will be known. Now what happens next? Verse 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds were moved, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, maybe you've been to church like I have, even a chapel service, and you've found it boring. Maybe you're sitting here today, and you're grumbling because, hey, why is the speaker up here? I've already missed something. I got in here late. or What are they doing? Uh, you know, or maybe you're just sitting here, and you're just bored. But when God is present, worship becomes thrilling. Preaching becomes a moving experience. And all you want to do is feel the presence of God. You aren't worrying about anything else, but what is God up to? What is God doing? And I want to be a part of it. And up to this point, Isaiah had been what we would call a passive observer. But then he sees these inanimate objects like doorposts and thresholds that could neither hear nor speak. And suddenly they have the good sense to be moved by the presence of God. They began to quake where they stood, and Isaiah could no longer remain unmoved or silent. And he said, woe, is me, I cried. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah was simply saying, When I see God in His holiness, I'm a dead man in the presence of a holy God. Now, just stop right there for just a second, and let's zero in on what it means to be holy. Literally, it means separated, something that's set apart. It's something that's said to be holy in Scripture is then something that is set apart unto God. It's something dedicated, or we use the word consecrated, It's a dedicated piece of furniture that appears, for example, in the tabernacle. It is a consecrated robe that's worn by the priesthood. To be holy is to be set apart for the purpose and the work of God. Now, holiness then carries it a step further. It means to be set apart from everything, all that is impure and sinful. And this is one of God's fundamental characteristics, that he is totally and completely separate from contamination of sin. Unlike all the other characteristics of God, we cannot know them the same as we talk about holiness. We can only experience a partiality, just a piece of holiness. We know that we can only get partially what God is, so we strive for just that much, It's Remember, we said we cannot see God in all of his holiness. Even his reflection is more than we can bear. So we can never know all of his holiness, but his holiness, just a portion of it, is more than we ever will know in our own self. So it's this realization that comes crashing in on Isaiah and on us when we see the Lord. He was reminded of the incredible contrast between the living, holy God and himself. And that's why he cried out, I am unclean. Now, why is it important for us to see that God is holy? How does that really then apply to us individually? Here's the answer to, so what? Well, first off, it shows us that God is trustworthy. Because he's holy, He will never take advantage of his children. He'll never abuse us. He'll never manipulate us because God is sinless, because he is holy. You can then trust him to do right by you at all times. Think about it. His holiness generates no hidden agenda, no questionable motives. When God leads you into his will, his will you'll never have to wonder if you know, things are gonna backfire. Will God pull the rug out from under you? Will he abandon you? Will he not do what he says he will do? Because he is holy, because he is uncontaminated, he presents to us a model of perfection. There's not one single flaw. God is absolutely perfect. In him, there is no darkness at all there is no flaw there is no spot so you can trust him because he's holy have you thought about that what that means to have something you can hold on to in this world that you can trust i don't know about you but i don't trust a whole lot of things these days I don't trust what people are telling me. I have to examine it. I have to think about it. We all know what it means to hear fake news and everything else that's out there. What can you trust? What can you believe in? What can you hold on to? I'm telling you, you need to know that you can trust God in his holiness. That's the rub, though. That's the tightrope of spiritual death. All of it's a moot point, see, if you aren't in fellowship with him. First John 1, 6 says, If we claim to have fellowship, to be with God, with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from every sin. And so that then gives us not only trust, but that gives us hope that we can have a fellowship with a holy God. We're purified Or made holy than by the blood of Jesus and what he did and I hope again you you recognize this you comprehend this sinful creatures though we are we have been made clean to have fellowship with a holy God so whatever you walked in here today with whatever you've dragged with you around for a while you can know that if you allow The blood of Jesus Christ to purify you, you then can have fellowship with a holy God. If it were not for holiness, we would never ever get to know Him. Were it not for holiness, we would live our entire lives under this dread of guilt and shame and evil motives, unable to be free of darkness. And so that's why Isaiah said, Woe is me, I am ruined. All of it would be true, ruin and woe, a sense of hopelessness. It would all be reality, but something had to happen to purify him. Today we have the blood of Jesus, but for Isaiah it was something different. It's still the same thing, though, through the blood of Jesus as it was for Isaiah. It's this transfer from God of his holiness, a partiality of it, transferring it down to us as individuals. Something has to happen to bring us to even a partial peace of God. holiness. Verses 6 and 7. Here's what it says. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched my lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I mean, there he was. Isaiah is groveling on the floor, as any person would who sees the holiness of God. Every nerve fiber in his body is trembling. He's looking around for a place to hide, praying for the earth to just open up and swallow him, or the roof of the temple to just fall down on him. But there's no place to hide. He can't escape. He can't run away from the holiness of God. And here's the amazing part of this story, this awesome... Incredible, holy God, who is full of grace, refused to allow his servant to stay on the ground, groveling in his guilt, in his sin, in his despair. God sees his humility. Once he saw that brokenness, once he saw that repentant spirit, once he realized that he meant what he said he, was, he meant, he took steps, God did, immediately to cleanse Isaiah and to restore him and to make him Holy. And today we're all like Isaiah. Don't mistake this prophet as someone more holy than you. We're all humans just like he was. And in everyday life, it's very simple. It's very common for us to blow it big time. But it's not necessary for us to live under that guilt and despair. That's the enemy attacking you and reminding you of how unimportant it is what god has already done for you but we know that what he has done is significant it's life-changing it's redemptive it's restorative it's cleansing god desires to press the white hot coal of his forgiveness against your sin and he longs to not only purify you outwardly but to cleanse you throughout and to forgive you to the core Now, just in case there's any confusion at this point, we may be left with the notion that holiness then is totally God's work or some kind of transfer that he puts in our life. Indeed, indeed, holiness is a work of God. We cannot be holy without his work in our individual lives. But holiness also then includes every single one of us and what we respond to God with and how we live our lives. So we've got to examine ourselves and say, what about my personal holiness? we got to look deep into our souls. And when we're looking deep in our soul, don't be busy looking around at other people. Don't be comparing yourself to others when it comes to personal holiness. Because, you know, every time we compare ourselves to others in holiness, we'll always manage a higher opinion of ourselves than we really have. Individual holiness... Being set apart for God is measured by the standard of a holy God, not by other people. So I pray you seek to know him daily for the standard of holiness that he's requiring of you as you live your life right here at North Central. I don't know about you, but when I see my uncleanness and the light of a holy God... It's when I need his grace the most. And today, maybe you're here and you need his grace. And you've been holding back from it because you just don't think you deserve it. Or you've been told for a long time that what you've done or how you feel or what you're doing, you can't get there. But I want you to know that God extends his grace to you. Not only his holiness, not only his trust, not only his hope, but his grace. And God's grace is the only cure. For the unholy condition. And so I understand that I'm not a passive recipient of God's holiness. I am charged to be holy as He is holy every moment of my life. And therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. As we move into worship, may you feel the holiness of God in this place. And may you usher yourself and your spirit into his presence and invite him to come and touch you with the white hot coal of forgiveness and to extend grace to you and then you can walk from this place today having known a little bit more about the holiness of God. Let's worship him together.